Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Political Party Daily for this special election series. And this one comes to you from Edinburgh. I came up to Scotland to talk to Ian Murray, the Labour candidate for Edinburgh South. He's been the Labour MP here since 2010. And I began by asking him about the demographics of his seat. Yeah, I mean, Edinburgh South is like a microcosm of the whole of Scotland, if not Britain. I mean, it's got significant wealth. It's got two or three of the richest streets in Scotland. But it's also got four or five of the poorest. And that mix makes it a really challenging constituency, but also gives us some of the the proper things that give you satisfaction, helping people out, trying to improve communities, setting up community centres and community groups. And that stuff's really quite good. There's a great South Edinburgh community. And the big issues around here at the moment locally are planning because... They're just building on the green belt. I mean, Edinburgh, as you know, is like the palm of your hand. So yes. you've got water on three si- uh, two sides and then you've got the airport. So South Edinburgh gets the bulk of all the new planning applications and everything's just completely creaking. So, uh, and, and within all this, you know, the context of not just UK politics, but Scottish politics, why do you think you were the only Labour MP left? Why was it here? Why, what was it about you or the seat that meant that this was the only place that voted Labour in 2020? Pure charisma. <laughs> I'm not no, saying that's no. not. I'm not saying that's not the answer. I'll, do, I'll give you. I'll give. I mean, the I two things the are the two stats. I suppose that would explain it to you is this was an eighty percent remain seat. Of course, the twenty fifteen election was before that, but that gives yeah. you the socio-economic way of people, the way people think, and also it was nearly a seventy percent no vote in the independence referendum. So the anti-nationalist, anti-independence movement around here is probably the strongest as anywhere else in Scotland. So people know that if the SNP are breathing down the necks of whoever the incumbent is, then they'll. vote vote tactically to stop the SNP from winning here. This is only one of two mainland Scottish seats they've not held, David Mundell's being the other. Uh, They've always been desperate for it. So people, I do have a very strong Labour vote here, I have a very strong personal vote, but I also have a very strong tactical vote, not just from unionists, but from a whole host of parties, including nationalists. So why why is this part of Edinburgh so pro-union? Well, it's a whole number of things. The universities here... Um, the main campus of Edinburgh University is just outside, but most people live here. So it's university lecturers, scientists, researchers, students. Uh, they all tend to be anti-breaking up anything because they, they like the format that they currently have. Um, it's got uh, a lot of people working in the financial services sector. Edinburgh's the third largest financial services sector uh, in Europe. And of course, most of them, uh, a lot of them live in Edinburgh South. And I think it's just the, the way in which the narrative works around here um, people are used to tactical voting. In 2010, I only won the seat by 300 from the Lib Dems. The Lib Dems got 1.7% at the last election, so their vote has completely collapsed. It's collapsed by 35%. I think most of that vote has come to me because I'm, you know, centre-left politician, talk their language on their side with those big issues. And I think that's why this constituency is so ardently breaking up the U- European Union and also breaking up the UK. So in terms of Brexit... Um Last time, Labour was perceived to be a Remain party. 
two years on from 2017, perhaps it's not the same. Does that pose a threat to you here? Well, it doesn't really, because I'm well known as Scotland's foremost uh, pro-European <laughs> MP. That's what all the press call me in every article that they write, which is just great for me. I don't need to even print my leaflets. So people know my position around here. I helped set up the People's Vote campaign back in April 2018 with colleagues. And there's also a huge um, understanding uh, around here that in 2017, I'm not sure, Labour were maybe perceived as a Remain party, but none of us ran on our main ticket. I just looked out my leaflets in 2017, and I was talking about if and when we leave, we should leave with the least worst option of the single market and the customs union. So I think the whole country's moved on rather than it being about leave or remain. But people around here, um, although it's taken a long time, are pretty happy with Labour's Brexit policy going into this election of a people's vote with the option to remain. All the rest is noise for people around here. They just want to get to that polling station again with remain on the ballot paper, and that's all that matters to them. And the Liberals around here, or liberal, traditional Liberal voters, see the Lib Dem position of straight revocation as being too extreme. They think it'll tear the country apart. So there's really only one place they can put their cross. And even Brexiteers around here have, have got really no choice on Europe because they can either have me or the SNP candidate who's also pro-European so they've got to discount that and go to their second level and no doubt their second level around here is independence. I mean is this a seat different MPs have different uh, approaches uh, all over the country and it's often down to personality is this a seat that you're just working hard every day of every week or do you think I'll be fine for a couple of years and then turn it on at election time. No, not at all. We're working all the time. I mean, we're out... I, I would be exaggerating to say we're out every Saturday, but we're out certainly three Saturdays out of four. We're doing street stalls, we're door knocking, we're doing surveys. This office is like a train station because it's just an open door policy. So it's nine till five, 51 weeks of the year. And we have a week off at Christmas. That's the only week this office is closed and we're out all the time. So... We work this constituency very hard every single day of the year. Well, you've had, when I think of individual MPs in terms of the different pressures facing your seat, independence, the rise of the SNP, Brexit, the uh, on top of all the other stuff, being the only Labour MP left in 2015, you've had a battle with a trade union in Unite and Len McCluskey trying to get you deselected as the Labour candidate. Um, you, were, you were successful in repelling that um, threat. It must be hard not to take stuff like that personally. Well, you do take it a little bit personally because you work very hard. <laughs> and actually, the best recruiting sergeant I've had since I became an MP was Len McCluskey. Um, I had more support in the week that he tried to deselect me than I've ever had. And the common thread of all the things you've just said, that whole list, 2010, 2015, 2017, Len McCluskey, I won them all. And Len McCluskey made a real fool of himself in this constituency and really highlighted the fact that the... Uh, Labour Party, in terms of Lynn McCluskey's vision of the Labour Party, is not the vision of the Labour Party that people, ordinary people in the streets out here have. So, with did you ever talk to him directly or anything like that? Only ever met the man once when I was the only, when I was the Shadow Secretary of State for Scotland. He came in to see me at my office. He spoke for half an hour about how I was wrong about everything, then left. <laughs> and that's if I never see him again, it'd be too soon. But, I mean, he's he's very powerful in the Labour movement. He's highly influential on the current Labour leader. I mean, surely Labour head office could have helped you out or the leader's office could have said, leave off Len. Well, they did for a lot of other seats. They didn't here. I don't know why. I mean, I, I, 
I had about 65 people coming to my reselection meeting. I ended up with 171 there. Wow. I mean, he just uh, he, he got everyone along to support me. He, um, I had Unite members resigning their membership. I had not just members of the Labour Party, but members of the public going down to Unite's offices in Edinburgh asking what on earth was going on. So, really, it backfired on them spectacularly. And it all stems from the fact that I was trying to protect the jobs of Unite members, and he wasn't. And that's where the argument came from originally. I'm surprised it's going to be a disaster for their members. And he was saying that, no, I'm just some sort of uh, Blairite who just wants to stay in the European Union because it's a capitalist club. And I'm, I'm actually defending the people that are paying your wages. So that's where it came from. And really, you know, um, Len McCluskey's not very popular around here. He should stand for election. <laughs> a how, proper how, election. How would he do around here, do you think? Very badly. I'd put, I'd put him a close fourth. <laughs> I mean, it's, do you worry about the direction of the Labour Party when people like Len McCluskey are so influential? Well, I worry about the direction of the Labour Party because I've always said, and I've said this directly to Jeremy himself, the public will have their say. Yeah. They can ignore people like myself and other really brilliant Labour MPs who've been saying for a long time, Jeremy, we understand you're the elected leader of the Labour Party, but if you don't change track, then the public are going to have their say and it's not going to be pretty. And I think... You know, three weeks out from polling day, all the opinion polling, and I know people say opinion pollings don't really matter, but all the trends are that the Conservatives are going to win this election. Now, for the most left Labour Party that we've had in generations to be up against the most right-wing Tory party in generations and not to relish that challenge to try and defeat them seems to me to be completely bizarre. I mean, do you think that's what it is? Do you think they don't want to defeat them? Well, I think they want to defeat them, and I genuinely think they want to be in government. But if, you, if your end game is to be in government, the pathway to get there has to be slightly different from the one they're currently on because they've taken the handbrake off at the top of the hill, the cliff's just in front of them, and they're arguing over whether or not they should press the accelerator, <laughs> not even pull on the brake. I mean, it is, I'm laughing, but it is. These are really troubling times for Labour politicians, for Labour people who want to see a Labour government. Actually, it's not... I've, I'm quite clear on this. It's not even just bad for the Labour Party and bad for people who wish to be Labour MPs. It's bad for the country. Yeah. Because unless you have a proper opposition that can be a credible alternative government, then governments of any colour get away with murder. And unless you've got that check and balance of someone who can take over number 10, then the country's in a really bad place. And I think that's where we're heading. In fact, I think that's where we've been. In terms of Scottish politics, then, it, there's a perception that Scottish Labour have been scunnered by two different things. And, and, and my sort of armchair analysis would be, after the 2014 independence referendum, Labour didn't step into the pro-union space and say, and in, in, in a victory mm. of, a, of, a, of a significant margin, 55 to 45, and make the case for the union, continue to make the progressive case for the union, kind of left the pitch, and it felt like some people in Scottish Labour were in a tailspin about the rise of the SNP and, and the fact that independence seemingly had actually come quite close and almost felt they had a, a degree of sympathy with it. Mm. I mean, is that a fair analysis? And do you think Scottish Labour is still in its heart pro-union? Well, I think Scottish Labour in its heart is still very much pro-union. There's no doubt about that. But what happened in 2014, I mean, that's really interesting because, and I have this conversation with people on the doorsteps and they say, oh, Labour aren't this, Labour aren't that. And I'm going, we destroyed our party 
purposefully to save the country in 2014. There was no positive outcome for the Labour Party for campaigning for the union in 2014 because with the rise of the SNP, which was going to be in the areas of which Labour used to be strong, it was going to hit us hard electorally. Now, we never thought it would hit us as hard as it did, but actually we could have all been wiped out apart from this one seat, and then I think the Scottish Labour Party probably would have disappeared. So we are very much still pro-union, but we're uncomfortable with the narrative that this has got to be Union Jack versus Saltire. Yes. And that's a really uncomfortable for a party like Labour because we're both. And in actual fact, I think I'm going to give Jeremy some credit for this. He was right when questioned on the TV about this last week when somebody said, are you a unionist? And he went, no, I'm a socialist for the whole of the UK. And I think there's a difference in this. I think we can be too simplistic about the solutions. Um, and we're, of course, the UK has to stay together. Of course, the UK has to stay in the EU and will never support independence as a Scottish Labour Party, but we can't run and determine our future policy on the basis of whether or not opinion polling is telling us we might be able to get some soft nationalists back, because principally we have to be against it. And I think people will give us credit for being principled. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. In terms of this election and the potential outcomes, it looks at the moment difficult for Jeremy Corbyn to get an outright majority. Um... But there seems to be talk and there seems to be uh, support on both sides for some sort of deal between the SNP and the Labour Party. I mean, how would you feel as a Labour candidate, <laughs> particularly given the context of the last five years, fighting the SNP in so many ways, and, and, uh, as well as that sort of progressive view of the union, to then see your leader do a deal with them? Well, I don't think he will do a deal. I think this is all, this is all just noise. And I mean, to be fair, uh, Jeremy Corbyn has said time and time again, no deals, no packs, no talks. It's even in a leaflet that he's putting out directly from HQ. So he's been pretty clear about that. And I think it's something that Ed Miliband should have done in 2015 much earlier because it killed the Labour Party in England as well as it did in Scotland. Um, But the mathematics don't work. And if I can just have 10 seconds to explain the mathematics, in order for there to be a minority Labour government, they have to have, by nature of the maths, more seats than the Tories. And therefore, there's a massive anti-Tory majority in the House of Commons. And therefore, if you've got an anti-Tory majority in the House of Commons, then you're saying to the SNP, here's our budget, here's our Queen's speech, here's our key pieces of legislation, are you voting them down? Now, of course, there may have to be some horse trading. We've been cross-party horse trading on Brexit for the last three years mm. and getting backbench Tories to vote to keep us in the European Union. We haven't left yet, so it's worked. So there might be a little bit of horse trading about the detail of legislation, but unless the SNP want to do a 1979 and bring back a Conservative government, you don't need to do deals with them. So all the talk about deals, pacts, talks and all the rest of it is mathematically incoherent as well as politically. Do you think emotionally or even intellectually, that that the Labour Party has kind of written off Scotland in terms of a place where Labour can win seats and thinks, well, you know what, if it comes to it, every SNP game could potentially help us. It doesn't matter too much. 
Well, that, I mean, that's 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 really difficult to even try and determine. I mean, to be honest with you, I think if the Labour Party, the, the Scots values are still Labour Party values. There is absolutely no doubt about that. Our current Labour Party values, those values, I'm not sure. And I think the public are crying out, absolutely crying out, for a credible alternative government that sits on the centre-left of British politics. That's what they're telling us at this election. They don't want... What Somebody said to me on the doorstep yesterday, which was I thought was really interesting, they said the exam question for him as a voter is this. How do they get rid of this awful Tory government and Tory Prime Minister without putting Jeremy Corbyn in down the street? That is what the public are telling us. And that is the question that nobody can answer. Uh, Labour's manifesto, at the time of recording, is about to be released. Uh, have you had any advance sight of it? No. <laughs> I mean, we know, I suppose we know some of the broad things. Yeah, of course. Major yeah. nationalisation programme. Yeah. Um, do things like that play well in Scotland, taking things into public ownership? I think if they're done sensibly, they do. I mean, I, I, I never really like the term public ownership because there's a whole plethora of different things you could do. I'm very much a not-for-profit ownership's great. The cooperative movement's fantastic. Yes. So I, I really the, the terminology of public ownership to me is a, a, a hammer to crack a nut. I really don't think you need that kind of terminology. For example, the LNER is fantastic as a publicly owned rail company. There's no doubt about that. Um, it's probably the best rail company in Britain. But you know, do you want a publicly owned open reach or do you want it to be not for profit and put regulations in there to get them to deliver what they need to deliver? That is the key argument here. And um, I think the manifesto is going to be quite exciting in some places. The green stuff is going to be fantastic. From a, a major party that could in three weeks' time be in government, the green agenda is going to be transformational. I would encourage people to look at it. There'll be some things in there people don't like. There'll be some things in there that people do like. But the one narrative, I think, from the manifesto that's going to really hit a nerve with the public is that the economy is currently not working for everyone. Mm. And that's a narrative, I think, that Jeremy Corbyn's got right. And I think it's a narrative that the country's going to look at and think, you are right. Boris Johnson with the current economy or at least an attempt to try and make it better for everyone and give everyone a stake The danger is well, depending on your view that people prefer Boris Johnson Well, we'll find out in three weeks' time I don't know if they, to be honest with you, I don't know if they prefer Boris Johnson I just think that they can't answer that exam question and therefore they stick with what they've got and then if you overlay all that with Brexit the Brexit Party throwing their hat into the ring essentially with the Tories. It's now the Tory and Brexit Party, not the Conservative and Unionist Party, that's for sure. And do you uh, get any stuff on the doorstep? Obviously, it's a high Remain area, but there's been a lot written and analysis attempted into how Remain the Remain vote is. Do you find Remain voters just saying, oh, come on in, we've got to leave now, we, you know, fair's fair, we lost and we need to get Brexit done and move on? Do you hear those things? Yeah, you do hear those things all the time. In fact, I had a conversation with someone on the doorstep last night who said, look, I'm a Remainer, I'm staunch European, I think even their daughter um, works in France, and so they're really, really European. Yes. And they said, just get it done. And I just said back to them, which is something that was talked about just before the election, that we can't let fatigue get in the way of doing what's right for the country. Yeah. And I know people are upset about it. But it's like having toothache and taking a hammer to your teeth rather than just saying, well, it's going to take a few more weeks to resolve the pain, but I'd rather do that and have no teeth left. Oh, and I, we can't I think fatigue. I would pick up the hammer, I think. Toothache's awful. Well, I've got a hammer here if you want me to. <laughs> 
I, I, but it's really interesting. There was somebody like we've got. We we are campaigning three times a day. And we, all of our team wear Murray Labour red jackets. Is walk down the street as you've seen all over the country. And one of my team went to a door yesterday, rang the bell, and the woman came really excited to the door. And she thought, "This is fantastic." Generally, it's got something really excited, and thought that Hannah, who knocked on the door, was someone from the postcode lottery about to give her a check. <laughs> She must have been living. Oh, she was furious. We didn't even we didn't even idea after that. There was no point. She thought she was going. All oh, the camera crew was going to be there, and she was going to be holding the big check for thirty five grand. Oh, that is so. Eh, sixteen postcode lottery. And then how did she take it when poor old Hannah says something in the Labour Party? She was um, to say she was disappointed, crestfallen. But I mean, in a way, you know, the Labour manifesto for every citizen would be like winning the postcode lottery. You know, there'd be there'd well, be free broadband. In a way, it was she's better off having had you knock on exactly. The door. She'd be better to vote Labour than to win the postcode lottery. That's for sure. We know what's good for her. Do you? I mean, you've campaigned for Labour all over the UK yeah. in by elections, local elections, whatever. Is there a sort of different tone in Scotland? Are, do people treat you differently on the doorstep? Do you think? Well, yeah, well, to, to be fair, all the hostility from 2014 15 has disappeared. There's no hostility anymore. And in fact, SNP voters are very happy to chat to us and very happy to. I'll get a lot of the SNP vote, I think, at this election just for a personal vote. Now, yeah. I've got some endorsers that are SNP members that are voting for me just because of the work we do locally. But all of that hostility has gone away. People in this election, though, really interestingly, more than any election I've ever been involved in, are more certain to tell you how they're voting. They're much more certain at the moment. Uh, our don't knows are very, very low compared to what before. And you, people knock on the door go, yes, I'm Labour, no problem at all. Or maybe it may be the weather. Um, uh, uh, and secondly, people are much more engaged, really engaged about the issues, particularly on Europe, and are happy to volunteer lots of information about what they're up to and what they're thinking about, whereas before it was really difficult to price stuff out. I mean, all those techniques on the doorstep of canvassers trying to prize out data. I do, uh, I hate to ask, but I'm asking every guest. And you can be as vague as you like. It could be a seat number or whatever. And you could just say, well, Labour the largest party or outright Labour majority or Labour majority of 179. Um, if you had to put, as we speak today, with all the caveats about it being miles away and all the rest of it, what if you had to predict an outcome for the general election, what, what would you go for? Well, there's 650 general elections going on. Yeah. The focus for me is to win this one. And then I can pop one on the list and everybody else can do their job. My prediction, um, I just don't think the country sees Jeremy Corbyn in number 10. I don't think the country sees Boris Johnson with a blank cheque in number 10. And I think as long as the government have fewer than 30, then Brexit's still stoppable. And I think for the future of the country, yes, I'd love to see a majority Labour government. I'd love to see even a minority Labour government because that would stop Brexit but I think what the Brexit party have done and what Boris Johnson has done to turn this into a Brexit election where he's sucked up all of that vote I think the main aim for me post-election if we are to have a Conservative government is to make sure the numbers are low enough that we can still get that people's vote with the option to remain because in the long term generationally staying in the European Union or at least giving the public the choice now to stay in the European Union is much more important in the long term than some uh, unstable short-term minority government of any party. So I would put, put you down as what, hung parliament? I think hung or close to hung would be good. <laughs> Ian, thank you so much. Nice to see you. You too.
Well, there you go, Ian Murray, and you really get a sense of all the different political forces swirling in that seat. And it's fascinating to talk to people who are leading parties, who are candidates, who are seats that have different makeups to those around them uh, and those in the rest of the UK. So it's fascinating talking to Ian and his amazing red jacket, which I've uh, tweeted a picture of as wearing, if you want to have a look. I mean, he really does look like he works for the People's Postcode. Uh, what is it? The Postcode Lottery? The People's Postcode Lottery. Whatever it is, you know the one, the Jeff Brazier ones. Um, so, thank you for downloading this. Please share, subscribe, leave a review on iTunes if you can, or whatever platform you listen to your podcasts on, Spotify or SoundCloud, and it helps other people find it. And I'll see you tomorrow. Oh, and you can email the show, of course, politicalpartypodcast at gmail.com, particularly if you've got a funny story uh, on the campaign trail. See you tomorrow. Bye. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.